This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to all our shows, just go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You will have access to all our seasons going back to 2008, and you'll get your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Already three months on the air? And take a look at all the shows we've done. In just three months, it can change your life. And take a look at who's coming. You won't want to miss it. That's if you want to take control of your life. Go to sanitasradio.com to listen and subscribe. And don't forget, you can purchase MMS directly from us, as well as our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material. Just visit the Veritas store. To get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower. There's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And tonight we discuss a very controversial topic with former police captain and co-founder of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, right now on Veritas. Peter Christ, retired as a police captain after a 20-year career enforcing drug laws. From the beginning, Peter believed... The drug war can never be won, and it is doing more harm than good. After retiring in 1989, Peter began speaking out publicly against the war. In 1993, he became one of the first members of Reconsider, 
one of the original forums on drug policy, involving speakers from many diverse backgrounds. Peter quickly developed into the group's leading spokesperson, appearing at hundreds of venues. Peter then originated the idea of creating LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, a drug policy reform group of current and former members of law enforcement modeled on Vietnam veterans against the war. In 2002, after four years of Peter's preparation, LEAP finally emerged as a viable international nonprofit education organization. Chris is one of the most experienced of the LEAP speakers, having performed before hundreds of civic, professional, educational, and religious organizations, plus conducting television and radio interviews in dozens of markets. Peter speaks of the drug war's impact on police and community relations, the safety of law enforcement officers and suspects, police corruption and misconduct, and the financial and human costs associated with current drug policies. These issues include the effect of drug prohibition on the judiciary, sentencing issues, prison populations, and minority communities, as well as the usefulness of drug education programs in reducing drug abuse. And to learn more about Peter Christ and LEAP, visit leap.cc. That's L-E-A-P dot C-C. And directly from Syracuse, New York, I'm privileged to welcome Peter Chris to Veritas. Hello, Mr. Chris, and welcome. Well, thank you, Mel, and I appreciate you sharing your audience with me. Absolutely. And not only we have people in the United States, but around the world who are listening to us. Right from the beginning, I have to ask you, how do you define it? Before we started, you were talking about how you define the word prohibition. Okay, well, prohibition, first off, we're law enforcement against prohibition. And when we formed this organization, we formed it to be a, a voice from law enforcement to speak out against the policy of prohibition. Now, we are focusing almost all of our energy on the drug war because that is the most grievous example of a prohibitionistic policy. But my own personal definition of the word prohibition is the prohibiting of consensual adult behavior. When you have activities between consenting adults that they choose to do together, and they're not doing it to anybody else or harming anybody else directly, other people may not like them doing it, but they're not making anybody else do it. When you make that activity illegal, you create crime in your society because there were no victims. Nobody was screaming, hey, this guy did this to me. These people were perfectly happy. And if there is money attached to this activity, you create violence in your society. Because if they have a dispute over the money, they can't go to the court system because what they're doing is now illegal. So they take it to the streets. When it comes to consensual adult activity, a sane, free society may wish to regulate it, but never prohibit it. Uh, I'll give you a, a wonderful example from America's own history. Back in the beginning of the 20th century, there was a period of time when there were people that were very upset about the blood sport, or as we call it, professional prize fighting. And many states outlawed it. They made it against the law. Well, that didn't stop the prize fighting. But instead of it being held in an auditorium downtown with a doctor at the ringside, it was out in a barn in the country someplace because now it was illegal. And if somebody got hurt, there were more people that got injured and more people that died to the legal world the rest of us live in. So we finally accepted the insane idea that two people would stand in the middle of a ring and pound each other even to the point of look at uh, Muhammad Ali, the condition he was left in from this. We allow that, but we regulate and control it. 
And that is what you do when you have activity like this. If you prohibit it, it doesn't stop it. There has never been a society on this planet that we have any historical record of, no matter how draconian they were, who prohibited a consensual adult act and had it stop it from happening. You know, no, we don't call prostitution the world's oldest profession because it just started last week. <laughs> okay. It's been around in every society on the planet. And in fact, I was at a presentation up in Maine a couple months ago and a guy says to me, um, I, any questions is the Rotary Club and the guy stands up and he said, well, I think it's kind of interesting. He says that we have a retired police captain who supports prostitution. And I said to him, supports prostitution? What are you talking about? I don't support prostitution. He said, well, from what you said here today, it sounds like you think it should be legal. I said, absolutely, I think it should be legal. That does not mean I support it. That means I accept the fact that it's going to be there. And what I'm concerned about is the pimps beating up their prostitutes or stealing money from their, their clients and 13 and 14-year-olds being worked forced to work in brothels. In a legalized, regulated marketplace, those problems go away. Consenting adults, that's the key right there. And was law enforcement instituted to protect people from themselves or to protect people from each other? Well, a guy, the guy that started what we call modern-day law enforcement was a guy by the name of Robert Peel. <clears throat> and he started the London Police Department back in the early 1800s. And he was very clear. He wanted to put a group of people into society that would protect people from other people doing them harm. That's what it was set up to do. And that's what we should be using it to do. You know, it's interesting. When you start using armed law enforcement on the streets of your community to enforce morality, okay, what people choose to do with each other, if you use them to enforce morality, the first question you have to ask yourself is, whose morality are we going to enforce? I mean, we could enforce Islamic morality. We could enforce Catholic morality. We could enforce Buddhist morality. We could enforce Presbyterian morality. All, all these groups have different concepts of what morality is. And none of these things should be forced on other people. <clears throat> the only thing that we should be doing in society is, again, protecting people from other people doing them harm. And the interesting thing about that is when law enforcement is very clearly doing that, people actually kind of like us a little bit. <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example. If you remember the Boston Marathon bombing? Sure. <clears throat> when they went in and they were searching those houses, a lot of illegal searches were going on and all that stuff. And an interesting thing I noticed being an old cop there were no ancillary arrests made on any of those searches. Now, what I mean by ancillary arrest is I go into a place with a warrant looking for this particular thing, but then I see this illegal thing sitting there. I could arrest those people for that because I'm legally in the house. Nobody saw a bong. Nobody saw or smelled anything. when They, they didn't care about that because they were looking for the bomber. And if you remember, when they finally got the last bomber and they were pulling their forces off of the scene, the people were standing in the street thanking them and applauding them because it was so clear why they were there. And they weren't there to enforce what drug you put in your body or who you sleep with or whatever. They were there simply to take somebody out who was trying to do harm to other people. And if we get law enforcement back to that, then we will start moving ahead in what we're trying to do. 
Now, what made you change your views about prohibition, even when you were still in law enforcement? Well, I'm going to really upset you <laughs> because I believed what I believe now about this drug policy before I became a cop. What happened was I was born in 1946. Uh, both of my parents were 42 years old when I was born. My brother and sister were 13 and 14. Now, I would ask my mother, why did you have me? And she would say, we wanted another baby. I would ask my father, why did you have me? And he would say, hey, the war was over and everybody was partying. Boom, there you were. So I was kind of a surprise. Right. But I was raised by two people that were born in Buffalo, New York in 1904. So they were 16 years old when alcohol prohibition started. And they were 29 years old and married to each other when it ended with my sister already being born at that time in 1933. When I was about 13, 14 years old, a television program came on called The Untouchables. And that was about alcohol prohibition. <clears throat> and I watched every episode of that, just like the kids today like watching the gangsters. I like watching the gangsters, too. And I had two people watching it with me who grew up during it, who lived during it, right on the Canadian border. I learned that my great uncle Walter, who I knew as being, it was my grandfather's brother, I knew him as being the ace mechanic who kept the seal test ice cream trucks on the road because he ran the garage. I found out from talking to my parents that between 1920 and 1933, my uncle Walter, living in Buffalo, New York, right across the river from Canada, owned a boat and used to make little rides across the water to pick up some booze and bring it back and make some extra money. Now, he wasn't a gangster. He was an opportunist, just like most of the people in the drug trade today. So we would talk about it. We would talk about it. My mother, the wonderful Baptist lady, would say, I would say, why didn't it work? And she would say, well, because the people didn't support it. Then I would ask my father, the fallen Catholic, why didn't it work? And he would say it didn't work because it was a stupid idea when they thought of it. By the time I got to be about 19, 20 years old, I became fascinated with that period, and I was reading everything I could get my hands on. And then I came across the fact that we had passed a constitutional amendment to enact alcohol prohibition. So that kind of weakened my mother's argument because that took a lot of support to amend the Constitution. So I started thinking that my father's idea was a little bit better. It was just a dumb idea. And I finally came to that conclusion at about 20, 21 years old. And then the only difference I saw between America, now that you got to remember, this is in the 60s. This is before Nixon kicked off the war on drugs and all that stuff. But we still had a drug policy. And it was still based on prohibition. And I looked at our current drug policy in America, and I looked at alcohol prohibition. And the only difference that I could see between those two things was the drug that was being prohibited. Everything else was exactly the same. The gangsters, the thugs, the shootouts, in the street, all that stuff was exactly the same. And I came to the understanding that we did not legalize alcohol in 1933 because some new scientific study just came out and told us, oh my goodness, we were wrong about alcohol. It's really wonderful stuff. You should give it to your kids. That isn't why we legalized it. We legalized it because we realized that no matter how hard we prohibited it, it was always going to be there. And all we accomplished by prohibiting alcohol was to create a huge underground marketplace with gangsters and thugs and terrorists involving themselves in that activity. And it's the same thing with the drug war today. 
I am not pro-drug. I suggest to everybody listening that they stay as drug-free as they could stay. I don't recommend any of these illegal drugs to anybody. But I believe that if we're going to have a free society like we claim it to be, then it should be my choice what I put in my body, not the federal government's. It's been over 40 years since Nixon kicked off the, the war on drugs. We haven't won that war. So why has this war not been ended, and why do politicians continue to support it, in your view? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think some people honestly believe it, okay? I mean, there's always that group. Um, there's some. There's a group over in England called the Flat Earth Society, okay? So, you know, we know some people hang on to bizarre thoughts forever. And then there's also, particularly when you're talking about politicians, politicians who ran on this issue. And said, elect me and I'll make our streets safer. We'll put more people in jail and all this other stuff. So that's a problem for some of them. Some of them are just not sure. They don't understand the issue. They think that you're defending the drugs or something like that if you support a regulated and controlled marketplace. And and one thing I mentioned, because any time I mention this word, I always want to say this last other part about it. I mentioned our prison system. We have the largest prison system on the planet Earth. We lock up more of our citizens than any other society on the planet Earth. Roughly a third of those people are in there for nonviolent drug offenses. We have one of the most efficient prison systems on the planet Earth. Very seldom do you hear of anybody escaping from one of our prisons. We put you in there, you stay there until we let you go. And in that huge, efficient prison system, do you want to take a guess at how many drug-free prisons we have? None. Exactly. Now, I want people that are listening to this show, the next time they're out shopping or driving around their neighborhood, and they drive by the local school, and they see that sign out in front that says, Drug-Free School, remember something. We do not have one drug-free prison. And let me tell you the difference between the people in the prisons and the people in the schools. The people in the schools have all their liberties, and the people in the prison don't have any, and yet we can't keep drugs out of prison. So who's going to believe that sign, drug-free school? We have to bring this drug problem. I just heard the drug czar the other day, and he was giving a speech, and he said, well, we understand that this drug problem is fundamentally a health care and a medical issue. Well, that struck me as kind of strange. What struck me as strange is not one reporter asked the question that I was screaming to ask, and that is, tell me, Mr. Drug czar, what other educational and healthcare issue, should we spend 90% of our money on the criminal justice system to deal with? If it's a healthcare and an educational problem, then we should be dealing with this problem through the healthcare and the educational system, not through the criminal justice system. And what you said about the prison system in the United States, folks, we have less than 5% of the world's population, but almost one quarter of the world's prisoners. What is it, 2.4 million prisoners in China, which is four times more populous than the U.S., has about 1.6 million become second worldwide. So if the prisoners really are not rehabilitated, what is then happening there? Why do we have to send petty crimes there? Why isn't why are we focusing our law enforcement officers in the important crimes, pedophilia, theft, uh, murder, etc.? 
You know, well, it, it's it's interesting. That's exactly what law enforcement should be focusing on, and that's the aspect that we are being drawn away from with this drug stuff. And let me tell you something: the drug stuff is fun. <laughs> I'm not going to joke about it. I mean, I'm dead serious. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.